Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 3. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. What do you boast in? What are you proud of? What are the things in your life that make you think you are better than others? Or the things that you may take pride in and satisfaction in so much that it may become your identity or your God? We boast in all kinds of things. We boast in sports. Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan, the Eagles, the Steelers, even the lowly Lions. We boast in entertainment, Star Wars or Star Trek, and music, is it hip-hop or indie or country or pop or classic rock or classical music itself. We boast in politics, Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians. We boast in or on social media, Instagram or TikTok, we boast in material possessions, houses and cars and vacation homes and stock portfolios and our jobs, our incomes itself. We boast in family and friends, marriages and children and grandchildren. We boast in independence and work ethic and health, what we can do, our strength, our speed the miles we've walked or run, you've all seen the bumper stickers, 13.1, 26.2, or even 50 or 100, or my personal favorite, 0.0. <laughs> we boast in knowledge and education. There are all kinds of things that we take pride in, that we look to for satisfaction, for meaning, for value, that, that make us feel good about ourselves that might make us feel better than others. What is it for you? And here's a key question I want you to consider this morning. Whatever it is for you, can it be taken away? Can it be lost? Can it end? Can it let you down? Can it disappoint you? Can it put you to shame? All those things that I've just mentioned, in case you are deceived, the answer is a resounding yes. They can all be lost, 
taken away in a moment. And if any of them are where you find your ultimate satisfaction, your meaning, your identity, they will put you to shame without exception. For the church at Rome, the people of God then, and even the people of God today, there is a temptation to boast in our religion, perhaps our doctrine, what we believe. We get it right. Or, particularly for the people Paul was writing to, our own good works, our morality, what we do, our obedience to God's commands. We are better than others. And so to the church at Rome and to us today, Paul speaks a word of rebuke, a word of hope and life and truth. And he echoes the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 9, where he wrote, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you boast in the Lord and only in the Lord? Paul wants you to know today That when you understand the gospel, this great news of salvation in Jesus Christ, it excludes all other forms of boasting and leaves only boasting in Christ. This is what Paul is saying at the end of Romans chapter 3. Whether you are religious or not, there is one true God. And there is one way of being made right with this God. And that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, apart from works. This eliminates boasting. It kills pride. Because on the one hand, your best works count for nothing. They do absolutely nothing to save you. And on the other hand, your worst works The worst things about you, your failings, your bad deeds, they will not and they cannot keep Jesus from saving you if you are his. Now the God-honoring response from the people of God to this word of truth and life and hope this morning is not to do nothing. It is to stop boasting. Stop boasting in ourselves or anything else but to confess our sin and our need and to trust Jesus and love Jesus and praise and exalt Jesus and boast in Jesus alone and then live humble lives of grateful, joyful obedience that look down on no one but instead love and value everyone. Now I could stop right there. But since I didn't hear another amen, I won't. What I want to do this morning is help you see and consider the implications that Paul is laying out here at the end of chapter 3, based on what he's already said in Romans. So remember our broad outline of Romans. It's very simple. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And we have finished that first section on guilt, where we saw everyone, without exception, is guilty before God. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners in need of salvation. Last week, 
Colin began this section on grace with an excellent sermon on Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. I want to read just a portion of that once again. So if you have your Bibles open, back up to verse 21. Just a quick summary where Paul wrote, but now the righteousness of God, and that word righteousness, Colin informed us, can mean the salvation of God. The righteousness, the salvation of God has been manifested. It has become clear apart from the law, apart from the works of the law. Although the law and the prophets, referring to the Old Testament, bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That's the courtroom language. They are made right, declared righteous by God the judge, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone alone. We could say this is the most important thing that Christians believe. Indeed, if your faith is not in Jesus, if it is in anything else to save you, then you are not a Christian. This is the foundation of the gospel. It's the hinge on which everything else turns. It's that Jenga block that if you take it out, the whole house comes falling down. Now today, we started our new member class. And it's part of the process of becoming a member here at Proclamation. And we want you to know, and we tell people as they go through the class, that the head of Proclamation Church is not me. It's not Colin. It's not any other elder. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is his church, and it belongs to him. So to be a member of this church, what's the requirement? It's simply the requirement of being a member of his family, of his kingdom. It's that you belong to Jesus, that you are saved, that you are a Christian. You don't have to be reformed. You don't even have to be Presbyterian to be a member of this Presbyterian church. But you do have to trust in Jesus. And so we ask five membership questions that are all related to your understanding of the gospel. And the first two go like this. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? We're basically asking, do you admit you are guilty, that you're a sinner in need of salvation? And here's the second question. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, And you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. We're asking you, do you believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone apart from your works? And are you resting and receiving, trusting in Jesus? This is the most important thing we believe. And it makes all the difference in our lives and what we do. This closing paragraph in Romans 3, we could call it a postscript on those important truths. Paul wants us to see some of, the, some of the implications. Because this gospel is true, this is a difference it makes in your life. Because that is true, these things follow. Three things. First, boasting is excluded. Second, there is one way of salvation for everyone. And third, this faith actually upholds the law. 
So first, boasting is excluded. Look at verse 27 again. Paul asks, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Beloved, you are made right with God, not based on anything that you do. Not on the basis of any of your works, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. By trusting, not in what you do, but in what Jesus did. Paul says, you are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And that word apart means without. Actually, it's much more intense than that. It means so distinctly without as to be utterly and entirely separate from and independent of. So you are saved by faith in Jesus, utterly and entirely separate from and independent of your works. Which means you do not earn your salvation. You cannot work for it, but only receive it as a gift. Beloved, God has accomplished your salvation without any help from you. You could not help him. You could not help God at all because all people, everyone, apart from grace of God in Christ, we are all dead to God, dead in sin, totally unable to do good. We read this in Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter two. He says, you were dead in sins, dead. You were dead in sins. And he goes on and he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, not because of your works, but because of his mercy and love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Beloved, God made you alive when you were dead. That's a good phrase for you to remember, to rehearse in your mind. God made you alive when you were dead. Remember that. Think about it, and it will kill boasting and pride in your life. God made you alive when you were dead, and the life that he brought you to is eternal. So spiritually speaking, you can never die again. You can never be dead to God again. Later on in that same passage, chapter 2 in Ephesians, Paul will say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. I don't think he could be more clear more pointed, more direct. You cannot boast that you had any part in your salvation. Why? Because you didn't have any part in your salvation. Jesus has done it all. Jesus humbled himself. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us. Jesus is the one who lived a life of perfect obedience to the law. Jesus is the one who died for your sins. Jesus was buried and raised on the third day. Jesus is the one who ascended to heaven and is the one who is coming again, not to deal with your sin, but to save you who eagerly wait for him. So, beloved, if you try to do anything 
Besides trusting in Jesus in order to get right with God, you are doing a work of the law and you're still in the grip of your own pride. Paul says boasting is excluded. It's cast out, not by the law of works, but by the law of faith. So beloved, put your faith in Jesus, not yourself. Trust in Jesus, believe foundational to your relationship with God is not your performance, but his. Not your performance, your works, but the works of God's own son, Jesus, the life and death and resurrection of the only savior. You know what the law of works does? It looks in the mirror. It looks to self. Look what I've done. It puffs up itself with pride. The law of faith, looks to Jesus. It exalts Jesus. Look what he has done. So Paul is saying, boasting is excluded. Why? Because your best works count for nothing when it comes to a righteous standing before God. Maybe think of it this way. Imagine that one of you started telling people after church today, I put $5 million in the offering today. Now proclamation can buy or build that building of their own that they want. And you're just going around. I put $5 million in the offering today. Troy, I put $5 million in the offering today. And then you kind of mumble in your breath, but it was Monopoly money, but $5 million. We'd be like, what? What is wrong with you? That money would count for nothing. It'd be absolutely worthless. It would not get us any closer to any building that we would want. We couldn't get even the tiniest of tiniest houses with that money. Totally worthless. Counts for nothing. Can't do anything with it. In the same way, beloved, boasting is excluded because your best works of righteousness before God count for nothing when it comes to your right standing before God. So, beloved, there is no place for boasting in the life of the believer. No place for pride or self-righteousness, not a single ounce, not one little drop. And so, if you ever find yourself looking down on others because they are not believers, if you ever find yourself feeling morally superior to others, better than others, you're not thinking in line with the gospel. You're not thinking in line with what Paul is saying here and God calls you to repent of that sin. Boasting in pride is so unbecoming of a believer because it betrays what we say we believe and it betrays the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus makes this so clear in Luke chapter 18. He tells this parable and and he tells us why. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the message from Jesus. Two men went down to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the religious, and one a tax collector. Sinners in the eyes of the people. And the Pharisee, what does he do? He stands by himself, and, he, and, he, and I think they're both beating their chest. He's beating his chest to puff himself up, like, look at me. He, he stands by himself, and he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. And then he starts his boast. I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not like the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice 
a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he's beating his breast in humility, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, from the lips of our Savior, here it is. This man went down to his house justified. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Beloved, the more the people of God, the children of God, the more we understand the gospel, the more that we grasp its implications, the more humble we will be. You cannot take any credit for your salvation. You simply humbly thank God for it. Give glory to God. Boast in your Savior Jesus what he did to save you. Boasting is excluded because your best works do nothing to save you. But it works the other way too. Boasting is also excluded because your worst failings do not exclude those who have faith in Jesus. He has paid for every failing without exception. Jesus has died. He has borne in his body the punishment for your sin. So that when you put your faith in him, your worst failings, every sin is dealt with. They have been punished in Jesus. Justice has been satisfied. God has truly, really acted in history through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to save you from the condemning effects of any and all sin, without exception, including the sin of pride. And he's done it in such a way that you're not even involved in the accomplishment of your own salvation. He's done it in such a way as to exclude all your boasting. So, beloved, our response to this implication of the gospel is both utmost humility and also utmost confidence. Not pride, but a confidence. The humility shows itself in gratitude for salvation and no boasting. And this confidence shows itself in peace and security and the assurance of our salvation. Because God made you alive when you were dead. That leads to humility. Here's another phrase to remember. God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself. God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself. Think about that. Run that through your mind throughout the week when you are feeling condemned because of your sin. Remember, beloved, God is gracious You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to earn your salvation. Why? Because Jesus has already done it. This brings security and assurance and peace. Well, the second implication we find in verses 29 and 30. There is one way of salvation for everyone. Paul writes, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Paul here, he's reminding, this is brilliant. He's reminding the Jews, the people of God, of the first article of their faith. This is the first thing they learned as children if they grew up in a Jewish home. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we continue to teach our children this truth today, right? We have the children's catechism. Some of you children have probably learned these questions and answers. Are there more gods than one? 
There is but one only, the living and true God. So there is one true God. And there is one way to be made right with God. There is one way of salvation for everyone. It is the same for everyone. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Paul says that this is true for both Jews and Gentiles. And those two distinctions, he's including everyone in the world. He wrote this letter to a church that had Jews and Gentiles in it. Jews were the religious ones. They had grown up with God's law. They were circumcised. Gentiles were the ones who were not religious. They did not grow up with God's law in the same way the Jews had. They had not been circumcised. But Paul is saying there's one true God, God of both the Jews and the Gentiles, the religious and the irreligious. There is one God of all people, and there is one way of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles, circumcised and uncircumcised, the religious and the irreligious. And since God is Lord of all, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, there can only be one way of salvation, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is true for everyone. It's true for everyone. The gospel is the best news the world has ever heard. But part of believing this good news is acknowledging that this is for everyone. And it is acknowledging the reality of sin and judgment. The reality of heaven and hell. It is a sober acknowledgement that those who do not belong to Jesus, those who do not put their faith or trust in Jesus, who, who put their faith or trust in someone or something else, who boast in anything other than Jesus, they are not saved. No matter how sincerely they believe what they believe. No matter how good of a person they may be, no matter what culture or country or religion they grew up with, there is one way of salvation for everyone, everywhere. And every person needs to hear the truth, the message of salvation. Because there is one true God who's worthy of the worship of every person that he alone has created. Beloved, if you know Jesus, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are his witness. You are to testify, not to your greatness, but to his greatness and his glory and his goodness and to salvation in him alone. Paul tells us that the almighty God himself is making his appeal to people today through us. That God made his own son, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the one way of salvation for everyone. And if you belong to Jesus, you are called to proclaim this great good news, this way of salvation, first and foremost, for the glory of the God who made you and saved you, and then second, also for the salvation of the lost. May God give us a passion for his glory and a passion for the salvation of everyone we know. May he give us opportunities and courage and love to share that good news. Well, our third and final implication is this. This gospel, this faith, upholds the law. Verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, or God forbid. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul says that salvation is by faith alone 
in Jesus Christ apart from works and that this truth actually upholds the law. He's saying that what he is teaching here is not contrary to the law of Moses, the Old Testament. It has always been this way. Salvation has always been by faith alone and Christ alone. Old Testament saints looked forward to the promised Messiah to come. We look back to the Messiah who has come. In chapter 4, Paul will argue that Abraham, the father of the Jews, the hero of faith, that he actually shows this to be true. And so, Lord willing, next week we'll come back and we'll see that in chapter 4. But let me just briefly point out a few ways how the gospel, this law of faith, does not overthrow the law, but actually instead upholds the law. So first, the law taught that it must be kept perfectly in order for someone to be righteous. And beloved, in Jesus' life, it was. Second, the law teaches that lawbreakers must and will be punished. That God is just, that your sin will find find you out. And beloved, in Jesus' death, we are. And then finally, third, a, a true faith in Jesus that does not boast in your works, but in Christ alone. This faith is the only boasting that actually leads to obedience to the law. Now think about it. If you boast in your own works, your own efforts to be made right with God, you will either be deceived and think that you are better than you actually are. You'll, you'll think that you are pleasing God by your obedience when you are actually only earning his condemnation and his wrath, so you won't truly be obeying the law. Or you will realize you can't keep the law as God requires, and so then you will either change the law to make it easier to obey, you move the goalposts, you change the standards, it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter who you love, Or you'll be crushed by the law because keeping it is impossible. And so you give in to despair, which will lead to rebellion. But either way, the result is disobedience to the law of God. It's only when you accept the true way of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from your own works and efforts, that God, by his grace, will empower you by his Holy Spirit living within you to obey the law in a way that is pleasing to him. Because now you obey out of union with Jesus Christ. You are in him and you do not boast in yourself, but you boast in Jesus alone. So what or who are you boasting in? And can it be taken away? Can it be lost? Can it change? Beloved, if you boast in Jesus, there are some things that will be lost. There are some things that will be taken away, some things that will end. If you boast in Jesus, here's what will be taken away. It will be lost, it will be gone forever in his eternal kingdom. Your sin, your shame, your suffering, your sorrow, your sickness, it will be gone forever. Every weakness and weariness, all loneliness and loss will be taken away. Your guilt, every moral failure, all pain, the pain that you suffer and the pain that you cause, every tear will be wiped away. That's what you will lose if you boast in Jesus. 
Who doesn't want to lose those things? And if you boast in Jesus, here is what will not, what cannot be taken away, and what will never change. Jesus, the sinless, spotless, undefiled Lamb of God, died for you. And his precious blood has forgiven you of all your sin. And so God is for you. He has actually made a covenant to do good to you. And he will never turn away from doing good for you. Jesus loves you. He will always love you. And absolutely nothing can separate you from his love. And he prays for you. And he is coming for you. You have been justified. You've been made right with God. You are righteous in his sight right now and forever. And you have actually been adopted into the family of God. So you are now his beloved child, his beloved son or daughter. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the risen, reigning Christ lives in you right now and he will never leave you. And one day Jesus will return to raise you and give you a resurrected body and reunite you with all the saints who have gone before to be with him forever. Amen? Amen. Now, as preachers say, we'd, we'd say, the plane has landed, right? There's, there's a conclusion to the sermon. But we're going to taxi around the runway just for a little bit. I want to close by sharing with you a testimony that I believe powerfully illustrates that all boasting is excluded and that will encourage you to stop boasting in anything other than Christ. And if you don't know Jesus today, I pray it will encourage you to turn to him and be saved. This is the testimony of Tom Martin. It was, uh, we'll, I'll try to remember to send out a link this week through the email so that you can watch it if you want. It's online. It's from a church down in Maryland. It's from several years ago. But Tom did not grow up in the church. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. And throughout high school, he avoided people. He liked to be on his own. And so when college came, he saw it as a chance to start over, to forge a new identity. And he became interested in how different people found meaning in life. And he took a particular interest in the occult. He started to read books on Satanism, and he was getting deep into it. He was drawn to these philosophies of self-indulgence, of knowledge of the supernatural. And so one day, as he's leaving work, and he's walking through the parking lot, he sees his car with a bumper sticker on it with a quote from one of these books on Satanism that he has read. And he's drawn to it, and he actually writes down his name and number and puts it on this car because he wants to connect with this person. And Steve, the owner of the car, calls him and finds out this man, Steve, is deeply involved in the occult, and he makes plans with Tom for Tom to join him. In two weeks, they're going to do this ritual to initiate him into the occult group. A week later, so a week before this initiation is supposed to happen, Another coworker, Keith, introduces himself to Tom, and he tells him he's a Christian. And he tells Tom, I believe God has a message for you. And if you sincerely want to know it, all you have to do is pray to God and ask him to show himself to you. Now, Tom has never been to church. He's never read the Bible, but he's curious, and so he prays. A few days go by, nothing happens, he prays again. Well, the day before the planned initiation, Steve, his occult mentor, calls him. He says, something's happened. We need to talk. And so they meet after work, and Steve tells him that Steve has just become a Christian. 
And so Tom hears about the Christian God from the last person he ever expected. And he realized that God has answered his prayer. So now he knows that God is real, but he doesn't know what to make of it, except that it'd probably be a good idea to turn away from the occult. So he does that. He goes back to college, but he's still looking for more. So he starts doing and dealing drugs. And after a few weeks, he starts to think, now wait a minute, I'm thinking about God. God has already helped me once. I'm going to pray again. And so he asks God, God, if there's anything wrong with what I'm doing, if, if you don't want me to do drugs, give me a sign. And God answered that prayer too because three hours later, he was arrested on drug charges. He spends the night in jail. He's bailed out the next morning. He calls Steve, who he, he invites him to go to church with him. And so for the first time, he goes to a church. For the first time, he hears somebody preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and he puts his faith in Jesus for salvation. And he says he sought the safety of being anonymous. It didn't satisfy. He sought friends. It didn't satisfy. He sought escape from morals and reality. He sought fulfillment. He wanted to boast in anything except for Christ, but it didn't satisfy. And Jesus sought him. Amen. He was, he was about to join Satan's army. You think his salvation had anything to do with him? And Jesus said, oh no. I am plundering the strong man's house. You are mine. And so beloved, if, if, if like Tom, if you are searching for meaning in all the wrong places, if you're boasting in all the wrong things, finding that none of it satisfies the longing of your soul, let Tom's story call you to the one true God. The only one who can satisfy you. And beloved, if God has already saved you, then say with the Apostle Paul from his letter to Galatians, which is the mini Romans, far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. Amen. Amen.